Hi, welcome back to the Chief Wellbeing Officer podcast. I'm Stephen McGregor. This is episode seven. This is the Agile Ways of Working episode with Jeff Gotthelf. Uh, so it's hard to believe, you know, the weeks are flying by. Uh, the last episode with John McCusker, uh, Global Head of, of Talent and Picardy, was almost exactly uh, four weeks ago. Today is the 24th of April and... Uh, yeah, couldn't pin Rory down this time. He's travelling. He's close by in Madrid, but we felt it was uh, it was important to try and get this episode out before the end of the month. Uh, I think we're realigning our objectives <laughs> to have one episode a month, which is which is fine. And if we get beyond that, then great. So let's say this is the the April episode. Um, another news that the book is out. You know, the Chief Wellbeing Officer book was actually printed on Friday. Uh, so it's currently being shipped uh, around the world. The paperback should be available uh, soon, in the next few days. The electronic version is out, so on iBooks, on Google Play and Amazon Kindle, that is now available. It's always the, the, the same thing, right? I mean, you, you, you write the book, but to get it over the line, there's so many other things that you need to do in the kind of final production. Uh, and that took a, a, a wee bit longer than, than Rory and I anticipated. But we're very happy with the end result. Uh, we think it looks great. Uh, Lid Publishing did a really good job of, of making it look good. You know, the typesetting is really clean and crisp. Um, and, and of course, you know, the figures that we had done with Ferran Broguera, really talented designer who works with me in the lab, uh, really made a difference also. We got uh, some really good uh, endorsements in the end, and, and and I think that's important. You know, there's some people that criticise the whole aspect of having endorsements in a book, but you know, I think it's it's important to some to have some sort of um, of check-in in that respect. And a lot of the people that we sent it to, you know, did read the book and and look through that. Um, and at the end, there we got uh, Ariana Huffington to to support the book, which was great. And it also means that we are going to publish an excerpt, a section of the book on Thrive Global in the next couple of weeks. So I'm sure in the next uh, episode that we've got that lined up for May already, um, we'll, we'll give more details on, on the paperback version of the book. We didn't quite make San Jordi, which was uh, yesterday here in Barcelona, you know, really one of the best days in Barcelona, um, you know, where, where the tradition is, is to gift a book uh, to to normally men, boys and men, and and, and to give a gift a rose uh, to women, and that's such a great day with spring finally here in Barcelona. Uh, so maybe we'll get that next year, perhaps with the Catalan version of the book. The Spanish version, incidentally, will be out in the next. We imagine three weeks, three to four weeks. Translation's almost finished on that, so it should be following quite quickly behind the English version, uh, and also the, the audio book should be done about the same time. So anyway, back to this episode. Uh, this is based on the experience that I had last week at Universitas Telefonica. It was the pilot of a new Agile Ways of Working uh, program, uh, and I was academic director for that, and uh, it was a really good week. We had a lot of, uh, um, you know, we had 60 executives from all around Telefonica, um, uh, you know, senior people within the organization looking at how they can adopt agile methods uh, to make 
to 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 help Telefonica transform transform in that in that you know that digital transformation mission that the company have, and to be more agile and more responsive to to customers. Uh, we had some external cases which are very interesting from ING Bank from Mango. Uh, we listened to other internal people, GIFGAF. You know, we had an episode with GIFGAF earlier this year. So Kim Fowler had, uh, gave a great presentation on, on agile methodology at GIFGAF. We had David Delval, uh, CEO of Telefonica Innovation, giving a talk also. And it was a really, really good week. Uh, and I took advantage on the last day uh, to speak to to Jeff. Uh, as an interesting character, you know, global expert in agile uh, author of, of two best-selling books lean ux and most recently sense and respond uh jeff was born in, in israel moved to new jersey in the states when he was seven uh background in software design and a really respected voice in the whole uh, area of, of agile so i was keen to talk to him at the end of that very good week that we had in telefonica regarding agile methods and also how that links to, you know, culture at work and uh, health and well-being and, and different things like that. So it was a good conversation with Jeff, um, and I'll let you listen to that in a second. Just a final shout-out and a thanks to everyone who was involved in the Agile Ways of Working pilot last week, uh, all the participants for your, you know, input, uh, Nawel in, in Telfcon Argentina for working with me in a session, uh, uh, Yelmer, Xavier, who you know from ING and 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 Mango, and everyone else who was involved, uh, and uh, Marta Machicot, Ruth Ortiz, and the program director Carol Wetman, who did a great job uh, last week. So here it is. It's episode seven. This is the Agile Ways of Working episode for Chief Wellbeing Officer with Jeff Gotthelf. Enjoy. See you next time. Ciao. So hello, uh, I'm here. It's a sunny Friday in April. Spring seems to be here at last. I'm at Universitas Telefonica. Uh, pretty tired, but, but happy after a good week uh, with the, the pilot program of a new Agile Ways of Working uh, transformation program uh, for Telefonica that we've run here at Universitas. So I've been lucky to be here all week. Um, I'm the academic director for this new course. Uh, and I've had the great pleasure to to get to know a bit better, having previously met him in design, but I'm here with Jeff Gotthelf, who's an expert in Agile and Lean, and he's been giving some really insightful sessions the last couple of days uh, to this group of about uh, 60 Telefonic executives. So good to talk to you, Jeff. Pleasure to be here, Stephen. Thanks so much for having me. Well, um, what's been your impressions of the last couple of days? Because you zipped in on Wednesday night, uh, and you've been pretty busy since then. Um, how, how have you found it, the program? I think these kind of programs are really important. I think that there is a lot of transformation work that has to happen at big companies like Telefonica for them to stay competitive, to stay relevant, and to stay top of mind for customers today. And that includes B2C customers and B2B customers. The transformations are massive. These are big companies. They're, they, they're successful. They do what they do very, very well. And so the motivation to change may not necessarily be there. The, the push to change may feel forced. And so it's these week-long or, or these concent called concentrated sessions that really work well to 
energize the, the management layer to drive for this change. You know, what I think I've, I've seen over the years is that the more these ideas of agility and lean and design and design thinking make their way into the way that organizations work today, it's not the individual contributors or the teams that struggle to adopt these ways of working. It's really the middle management and then the upper management layers that end up becoming the, the initial blockers to success here. And so these, this, this session in particular was, was encouraging. We had 60 people from all over the world, from all different disciplines, everything from HR to tech to infrastructure and everything in between. And they are listening. They're hearing a lot of new ideas. And they're trying to figure out how to change the way that they do what they do and how, and how to change the world for the people that they manage. And for me, that's inspiring. And it's the right way to go about it, kind of this concentrated kickoff. And then from here on, let's see what happens. Yeah. And, you know, looking at these guys over the course of a week, it was a, an authentic experience in Agile, right? They're trying to grapple with a lot of new uh, kind of concepts and, and and how that makes sense to their existing ways of working and it's it's not easy right and as you touched on there it's about energizing uh, a group of people I don't know if we call them evangelists to go out and just kind of uh, I don't know I guess maybe a negative word but infect the rest of the company in, in their in their business units with the, with a new way of working it's natural that we're going to see apprehension it's natural that we're going to see maybe um, rejection of ideas, especially if certain people think that may, they may be at risk of a, a, a change. Um, any overarching feelings that you got from from them and how they're feeling as, as they go home um, this afternoon after this course? I feel like there are going to be mixed reactions here. You know, the risk with Agile, and, and there's there's two versions, there's two flavors of Agile, right? There's, there's capital A, the religion, Right? And there's lowercase a or agility even, which is the practice, the, the real kind of fundamental practice. And so the risk with any of these transformations, and anytime you use one of these words, is that all the baggage comes along with it. And so you're going to get folks in these types of sessions who are bought in to the religion, capital A, right? And these folks are going to get energized. They're going to go back to work. Um, and, and generally speaking, because Agile capital A came from technologists, usually it's the technologists that buy in and they can start to really rework their organization. I think you'll see more skepticism from the non-tech disciplines or the non-product focused disciplines like HR, finance, marketing, you know, business analysis, retail, right? Those folks are going to wonder, how does this IT methodology apply to the way I do HR or the way that I do finance, right? And I think that that skepticism, frankly, was was part of my goal was to was to diminish that that specific skepticism and really focus on the concepts of agility, continuous learning, continuous improvement, and hope that those folks take that home with them. The fact that um, all this means is is not that you have to follow a specific recipe, stand up every morning at nine fifteen for fifteen minutes with your colleagues, but more around. How do you create the kind of culture that is nimble? If we just toss the baggage-laden words out for a second, right? How do we create a nimble organization for the thing that I do? And then kind of in a more meta capacity, how do you create the kind of organization that supports this way of working 
from my colleagues in, in other departments. So I think there's going to be some skepticism, particularly from those disciplines. And what I'm hoping they took away was that there's an opportunity to improve the way that they work as well. Yeah, and we, and we reflected on that during the week, right? You've got the kind of the practices and the tools and the processes. You know, we practiced Scrum this week, which is great to give them a, a kind of first bite at understanding some of the experiences of, of Agile. Uh, and then, but we realized that there's much more to it than that. It's about the mindset, uh, it's about the culture uh, of agility and also the culture of the organization that you're implementing the, these things. And they have a lot to think about next week. So in a way, it's more than the practices and the processes, but they have to get to grips with something. They've got this interior, interior conversation with themselves of what that means for their work, not about just stopping everything that they do overnight and adopting the new way of doing things, but they have that, which is a, which is a, which is a progression. Um, but they have to think, you know, for boiling it down to next week, which is a, it's always a tough experience after people leave university tasks because they generally go back very motivated because they're with like-minded souls that have all bought into the message or mostly within the course of that week. But then they go back to their individual countries and business units and they're surrounded with people who haven't had this experience, right? Yeah. So, you know, the joke in Telefonic and Universitas is like, you know, yeah, stay away from Jose. He was at Universitas last week. <laughs> Give him until Wednesday and he'll, he'll be back to normal, right, right? Right, So, and in a way, you know, it's not just about the stand-ups and it's not just about the practices and the tools and the rituals. And I, I really find the whole aspect of rituals fascinating with the work that we've done on habits over the years. What what should they do next week? What should they, they do on Monday? Because we also talk about finishing, right? And I love mm -hmm. this thing. It's about stop starting and start finishing. Yeah, you said yeah. to me earlier yeah. this morning. If they think about what should they do on Monday and what should they aim to have done for the end of next week when they go back, what do you think? It's a great question. You know, it... It varies a lot, but it, look, if any kind of at, at the risk of giving a generic answer, right? So I think I think if they can successfully by the end of next week start conversations with the people that they manage and the people that they interact with on a daily basis or on a weekly basis around the why, right? Why are we doing this, and how do we know that we'll be successful? If they can just start that conversation. That to me is a, is a huge win. That's a, that's a tremendous opportunity for them to start to redefine how they work in a very low risk way. Look, and initially the answers are going to be the same uh, because you know the the executive vice president of this department told us to do it because if we don't do it, we're not competitive with with somebody else, right? Um, and that's good. That's a good place to start. But then let's really push that into well, what what are the benefits or what are the you know, I hesitate to, word, to use the word value because it really doesn't mean anything without context, but I'll call I'll say customer value, right? What is the customer value that we're ultimately delivering? And then how do we know that we're delivering it? As long as we can start that conversation and start to at least begin the movement away from focusing on the thing that we're delivering this week and more thinking through uh, what is the experience we'd like to create and and how will we know that our customers are getting that experience? That becomes, that's a huge win for next week, right? And so, so that's not, it's no new rituals, it's no new processes, it's no new tasks. It's simply, I think, sparking the conversation in a staff meeting or in an email or whatever the discussion tool is to really get a sense of, of why, right? If we can get the, that underlying, that underpinning rationale, 
And then the how will we know that we've done that? That at least starts the conversation towards agility. I think that's, that's a win for the first week. That's great. Looking at the why of agile in, in a kind of broader sense, I'm thinking about, you know, let's say ways of working and, and work being such a big part of life now. And one of the things I talked about earlier in the week was, you know, ways of living. And, and I know that maybe you can tell us about that briefly in the answer about your own experience of moving to Barcelona. You know, been living in Barcelona for about a year and you kind of tried to de-risk that, uh, that move, which is a significant move for you and your family. Um, but also just thinking about notions of health and well-being and how, you know, perhaps happiness, you know, some of these things that we've covered and I've covered in the book with Rory, but what's our experience of work? And I'm starting to explore how, you know, some of this methodology or philosophy of Agile can contribute to just making the experience of work better, right? More than just having a higher level of performance and competitiveness of our teams then be more responsive for our customers. Actually just thinking, hey, I'm going to work and I'm going 95 or whoever it is, and it's just going to be better because I'm doing things, I'm finishing things, I'm learning at a much faster rate, I'm talking to different people from different disciplines. And that to me just seems that it's more attractive, right? So in terms of health and well-being and, and, and the many years that you've had you know, um, uh, uh, you know, spreading this message of, of agile transformation. I mean, what, what do you see in that? Do you see that as a real potential for ways of working and ways of living into the future? Yeah, absolutely. Look, I spent the first 10 years of my career following orders, right? Doing the thing that I was told to do, creating the deliverables I was told to create. And, you know, at the, at the end of the day, on a good day, half of what I did made it into a product. On a good day, which means that on a bad day, two thirds, three quarters of what I did never made it into a, a product that a customer used or saw. Now you could argue that I was bad at my job, right? And that's that's one one reason for that. Um, I don't know that I was bad at my job. I was I think I felt like I was okay, right? But that, that was par for the course for the people that I worked with, right? And and ten years into my career, I really took a, I took a hard look at that. And I said, look, if this is the next ten years of my career. I'm done. I'm, I'm moving out of tech. I'm going to figure this out and go do something else. And really, that's when the conversation for me started to shift towards different ways of working. Um, and so since then, having been in the conversation and in the kind of heavily involved in figuring out how to implement agility, customer centricity, design thinking, a lean mindset, into the way that I did my job initially as a designer and then as a team leader and then as, as um, kind of a, uh, in an entrepreneurial sense, um, I can confidently say that it's changed my perception of work and, and, and frankly, my well-being and my happiness at work. Look, from the first half of my career, from those first 10 years, I don't think there's anything that I would put my name on, that I would proudly put my name on at this point. Like looking back, you know, 20 years in now, looking back at that stuff and really looking and saying, wow, I'm really proud of the work that we did there. You know, I remember those projects as slogs, right? As, as you know, death march might be too strong of a word, but nevertheless, it was like, we, we, you know, kind of get it done. In the last 10 years, regardless of the success or failure of the work that I've done on teams, with teams, consulting with teams, coaching teams, et cetera, there are story, there are stories after stories after stories that I'm proud to tell 
about the work that we did. And, and you know, it ends up being about the ways of working, the, the passion that the teams have, the motivation that they have, the energy that they have, the, um, the excitement that uh, becomes contagious in the workplace, right? And this stems from fundamentally changing what we were asked to do. It's, it's a really simple concept, like a lot of these things are, but the implications are massive and they're not easy to implement. But fundamentally the shift for, for me as I started kind of at that 10 year pivot point was instead of being told what to make or what to build or what to design, I was told and then ended up presenting those same ideas, um, which problems to solve. And that fundamentally shifts the kind of work that you do and the way that you work. So all of a sudden, I'm not working on the idea that you told me to build, which look, I'll do a fine job and I'll implement it to the best of my ability, but I am figuring out, based on my ideas and my collaborations with my colleagues, what the best answer to this problem might be. And then we are building our idea, which is far more motivational, far more inspiring, far more interesting um, work to do. I'm, I'm, you know, you're happier. And, and look, I saw this, you know, there, there was a team that I worked on years ago and we were a pilot team for this way of working. And other teams would look to us and say, why are you guys smiling at work? <laughs> like, why is there all this activity and, and engagement in the work? Why, why are your engineers, your, your software developers, coming in early, pulling analytics reports, and then posting them to the walls around the office? We can't get our teams to show up at the office before 10, right? Um, that, to me, is indication that this fundamentally changes your happiness at work because it gives you, it gives you much more purpose, right? You're not, you're not a drone just kind of knocking out widgets at the at the factory, right? You are solving real problems. And that's the nature of knowledge work in the 21st century. Absolutely. And it means that we keep learning, right? Because the whole model that we go to school, we go to university, go to a job, and we stay in that job or don't, but we tend to just do things and we don't really leverage learning through the rest of our lives. But of course, we know that's changing, right? There have been a few books on that recently. And we need to move beyond that dynamic that you mentioned of just slogging or grinding through work. And I think we just have more of that human experience potentially now at work. And you mentioned purpose uh, and even just connecting with other people, which we don't do enough of, I think, right? And other leverage by other things like autonomy, ownership, and increasing motivation. And, and, and it's interesting what you also say about, you know, reflecting on the outputs of our own work. Are we, are we proud of what we do? And sometimes, even if it's not just the task work, we're proud of the output. We can be proud of the experience that we've had in the teamwork yeah. and the collaboration and sharing experience with our colleagues and, and things like that. So that's great, um, Jeff. Many thanks for those comments. And just finally, getting back to your own kind of personal story on Agile, you're living in Barcelona now for a year and, and you tested, right? Yeah. So, so I mean, in, in the true spirit of continuous learning and de-risking ideas and minimum viable products or, or minimum viable life shifts, perhaps. Um, for years, you know, my wife and I had talked about moving to Europe, moving from the US to Europe, and we didn't have agreement on where to go. Um, we'd been to several places in Europe over the years and still couldn't decide where to go. Plus, you know, we've got a couple of kids. Where do we want to go? What's a good place for kids? Where would they learn um, the most interesting things? And so we realized that if we can't decide, we don't have enough information. 
And so we have to go get more information. And for us, the, the experiment, right, the, the minimum viable life experience, if you will, here was taking uh, a month every summer and taking the kids to a different place in the world or most mostly in Europe. We did a little bit in Australasia as well every summer for a month. And we got an Airbnb in a neighborhood and we lived there in, you know, in the context of the city for a month. Now, yes, it's summer. Yes, no one's working. School's not in session. So there's all kinds of variables that you have to take into account. But it gave us a sense of what kind of, you know, in many cases, like kind of a best case scenario, right? In the best case, no one's working, no one's going to school, it's summertime. Um, what is it like to live there under a kind of a best case scenario? And so we went to, we went to five, five different places over four years. We went to, so we did Australasia, we did a Auckland and Sydney, and, and that was fantastic. We love those places, but uh, very, very far away from pretty much everybody and everything we know and love and do in the world. And so um, we decided not to go there. We went to London, um, and again, London, super easy place for us to, to move and live to English speaking. Um, uh, for me, the weather was a killer, uh, you know, uh, and so, and, and, and the cost of living, frankly, was a little high for us as well. Uh, we went to Barcelona and we loved that. And then we did one more city after Barcelona, just to give you a sense that we weren't, you know, Barcelona was definitely the leading contender, but we went to, uh, went to Utrecht in the Netherlands as well. And we, and again, Utrecht is, is fantastic. It's like Amsterdam minus all the crap. So like all the things that's, that are great about Amsterdam, uh, Utrecht has, and very, very little of the, the crap that Amsterdam <laughs> has, which is really nice. Uh, but again, you know, sideways rain in July and, you know, 10 degrees Celsius, nine degrees Celsius. That's not my idea of summer. Uh, so again, the weather for me was a killer. And so we ended up uh, going to Barcelona. And, and again, we, we've got enough information about it. And then at some point, you just got to bias for action, right? And we just made the move. You know, and coming up in a year, so far, so good. You know, so here's a win. We're wishing you and your family all the best as you, as you continue to live here. And, and thanks for your time today, Jeff. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me.